This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. This conversation is with David Ainsworth. Uh, now, David works for Catalyst, like one of our other interviewees, Dan Such, um, where he heads up comms for, for that organisation. Um, but he's here talking in a sort of broader capacity because David's been around in the charity sector in the UK for a long time now as a journalist and also working in the sector uh, as a sort of thinker and commentator. Uh, and David and I caught up to talk about some of the thinking he's been doing about the financial impact of the crisis so far on charities and what some of the responses at a policy level and elsewhere might need to be so here's david okay great so i'm here with david ainsworth hi david hi there how you doing i'm not too bad thank you um yeah and i just thought it would be good to to have a quick um catch up and chat just to get your view i know you've been thinking a lot about what's going on with the the kind of covid19 crisis so far and how it's affecting the charity sector so just to get your quick take on on what's going on and sort of what some of the main challenges have been yeah, okay. So I've mostly been trying to look at it and, and trying to map out uh, exactly what the impact has been on different parts of the sector. And we're doing that partly just looking at the data and trying to project the likely kind of losses. And it's pretty frightening, really, the scale of the impact that we're seeing across the charity sector on and how differently different types of charities have, have been affected. Um, and we're seeing some charities very, very badly affected indeed, and others really able to withstand it relatively well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and which, what, what are the sort of differentials in there that are making a big difference between different types of organisation? So I think the biggest thing we're seeing is that we talk about the charity sector as if it was quite a unified entity, whereas in fact it's a collection of very different organisations delivering different types of service and using very, very different business models. So I, I've tended to think that when you look at different types of charity, the business model, the way that the money flows into the charity is the biggest um, kind of denominator of how charities actually tend to behave. And people tend to think about charities as primarily fundraising organisations. But in fact, that's only a fifth to a quarter of the income of the charity sector. We've got the uh, a very significant amount of money obviously comes in from government. Charities actually make more money delivering um services directly to the public selling things directly to the public than they do from fundraising and donations and then there's a real kind of mix of other sources of income money comes in from investment it goes out in grants uh charities make a lot of money from from membership a lot of charities are in a position where all of the money flows to them from one single um from one single source where you've just got one kind of major benefactor that that pours all of the money into the charity I was just going to say, I guess on that front, that major benefactor is likely to be, in most cases, uh, I mean, either a government department or more likely a grant-making trust. And so those organisations dependent on the trust and or grant-making entity in question might be the ones that are relatively well insulated. But even then, the demands on grant-makers at the moment are so vast that most of them are struggling to, to keep up with it, from what I've seen. And that's true. And in actually, in a lot of cases, the benefactor is a grant-making trust. If we think particularly of corporate foundations and individual foundations, uh, 
we, we tend to think of foundations in the charity sector as funded primarily by investment, but there's almost as much money flowing into them from uh, gifts from individuals. But that money tends to come in the end from pretty much the, main, the same source as investments. It's still coming from the stock market. It's just then flowing into the pockets of a major benefactor, either a corporate um, organization with a corporate foundation or an individual with a, uh, an individual's foundation. And those, those individuals are seeing, um, obviously, quite straightened circumstances in some cases. And we can imagine that in a lot of cases, corporates are going to be pulling their funding to their corporate foundation pretty sharpish as they find themselves in a completely unprecedented uh, financial position. So I guess if we were to look through those different sources of income, we've seen that fundraising has been very badly hit, much worse actually than I suspected to start with. And that's the cancellation of fundraising events. Uh, that's the inability to, to follow up on asking through a lot of channels, um, kind of spontaneous giving seems to have dried up a lot as people have obviously felt that their own circumstances are quite difficult, been quite nervous about giving to charities. But the, the real absolute collapse obviously has been in um, services to the general public. Charities deliver almost all of those services face to face. And we're seeing in a lot of cases, 90% of the income of those charities just disappearing overnight. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I guess the you know, as those income sources dry up, it, for some organisations, I guess it's pop, possible to essentially kind of go go dormant or put themselves on ice and they can take advantage of things like the government's furloughing schemes. I mean, if you're a museum or, or something like that, I guess you can just kind of not open the museum for a while. But for other s- charities, it seems like the real problem is that they're finding that that kind of challenge on the funding side but at the same time the demand for their services hasn't gone down if anything it's increased yeah obviously we're saying that the the impact the the government schemes whilst they're very generous have obviously not been designed with charities in mind and in a lot of cases charities are struggling to really uh, gain access to them if they're not primarily viewed as trading entities then they can't access the business loan scheme Uh, they can potentially access the furlough as you say but furlough only works if um your income's gone down and the demand for your services has gone down. As you rightly point out, in a lot of cases, these people have seen income disappear, but demand for their services has risen exponentially in some cases. It's doubled in a lot of cases. We're seeing just a vast increase in, in service provision. And I, and I guess with that, Phil, I noticed this is something that you've been kind of pointing out and talking about and thinking through on, on Twitter and elsewhere, that, that, as you say, that furloughing scheme is not designed for charities but one of the particular sticking points is that currently it doesn't seem possible for people who are on furlough to volunteer again or work on a voluntary basis for for their employer um and so people are sort of trying to think whether you can work that around and have you know job swaps and these kinds of things but those also seem problematic from the point of view of the tax authorities i mean do you think this is a a kind of unintended consequence that that just needs to be dealt with yeah, obviously, it's an, an unintended consequence, isn't it? I mean, I think we're saying that, that essentially, I feel that ideologically, this government is maybe not focused on the charity sector. It, it doesn't intrinsically kind of get how the sector works. It works in much more of a kind of uh, a market-based kind of instrumentalist way. And and the so maybe the charity sector hasn't been at the forefront of its thinking. Obviously, it's, it's just it's had to design this system in a tearing hurry. Essentially, it's a problem. And create and the idea is that it's focused on business and in a business if your income goes down demand for your services go down they go hand in hand 
with the charity sector, that's just not the case. So it hadn't occurred to them that there might be organisations where demand remains, but the income disappears. It feels to me as if, if there was the will, you could relatively easily create a workaround for this aimed purely at the charity sector, because government's very, very used to giving exemptions or amending schemes for organisations with a charity number. It's happened many times with different tax reliefs and so on and so forth. And it shouldn't be that hard, I think, to say, if you have a charity number, a slightly different scheme applies to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I think that's you know one kind of quick win, essentially, that the government could have, although I don't think it would necessarily solve all of the issues with the, the funding shortfalls. I'm sure you're not suggesting that it would. Um, but kind of do you do you think apart from the that just sort of immediate huge looming challenge of just dealing with the fact that they don't they aren't able to get money in through the door there are for those organizations that are able to get through that short-term storm there are going to be other potential implications or challenges of the situation that we're going through at the moment and and what do you think those might be yeah i mean i think obviously funding is the single largest problem for for these organizations and i, I don't think that's really in doubt because i mean with the ncvo's talked about there being a four billion shortfall but that was in 12 weeks and i have to say i thought that that was an underestimate i think if we're going if this goes on for six months we're probably looking at more of a 10 10 billion pound shortfall furlough will protect against some of that but sorry i'm not answering the question you actually asked which is the the other challenges that exist um, yeah, I, th- I mean, the next challenge is obviously that there's uh, quite a lack of capacity in the voluntary sector around um, reserves and around um, management capacity. For a long time, the voluntary sector has been asked to kind of cut back on its core functions, cut back on its central management. And that creates a difficult scenario when suddenly you have to engage in a rapid change of how you operate things, because you simply don't have the number of people there who are able to engage in that kind of decision-making process. And I don't think the charity sector has been terribly well-equipped in digital terms, in terms of the technology that it needs to, to reach out to people. So getting that capacity in place all of a sudden is going to be a very, very challenging thing. And then obviously from there, there's what we've already talked about, which is this rapid rise in demand. And that's going to be very different in different organisations. But I think that um, um, what we're likely to be seeing in terms of uh, these organisations is, is we're going to see some organisations, mental. we've seen it already, mental health organisations in particular, advice services, uh, a number of other services that are working with vulnerable and disadvantaged groups, that they're going to see a huge rise in these people who have been badly affected. And the other problem, obviously, is that those beneficiaries themselves are already hard to reach. They're hard hard to get to. And when you're not allowed to go out and actually find them face to face, then trying to deal with them digitally when many of them simply don't have a mobile device is going to be an extremely challenging environment. I mean, you can't provide digital services to somebody who doesn't have any digital equipment. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's interesting to think what the sort of forced digital shift for a lot of organizations is going to mean. But as you say, it, it, there are definitely things that people as quickly as possible will need to get back to doing in person and offline. And and that will potentially be a challenge if those those kind of important connections have been severed in the short term. 
Um, I just just wanted to ask finally, kind of, you know, we talked a lot about the challenges because it's obviously those are very front of mind for most of us at the moment. But what what have you seen so far in the kind of response across the sector that gives you some cause for optimism that civil society is, you know, is going to weather this storm and hopefully kind of come out again the other side reasonably strongly? I think what well, we're we're seeing a couple of things here. One is that we're seeing an enormous amount of innovation, forced innovation in a lot of cases, but people are having to think on their feet. They're finding new ways to do things, things that have been a problem for a very long time, for a number of years, have suddenly disappeared. Um, we're seeing a transformation in how people approach digital technology. And I think all of that's absolutely fantastic. I think the other thing that, that really stands civil society in good stead in the long way, in the long run, going forward is the impact that this is have, having on how wider society is uh, kind of responding to this. We're seeing in Spain, they've talked about introducing a universal basic income, which would be transformative if something similar to that came in here. People are, the, the Financial Times is talking about the need to readdress Britain's compact with its low paid workers. The Financial Times is campaigning on benefits saying that we need to reassess the benefit system. So I think civil society may find itself in a much more conducive campaigning environment in the aftermath of this. A lot of people will have looked at the fact that they needed their neighbours, they needed state support, that this kind of myth of, of, of a kind of capitalist meritocracy wasn't really quite all it was cracked up, for, up to be. And we're going to find ourselves in a much more communitarian much more interconnected civil society where I think it's going to be a little bit easier for charity's message that basically we all need to look after each other a little bit better. I think it's that, that message is going to be a little bit easier to get across after this. I you know, I certainly hope so. And it, yeah, I mean, it absolutely uh, kind of echoes things that I've been hearing from others and thinking. And I, I guess, I mean, as ever with these things, I suppose my my sense is that there's an optimistic version of things in which exactly as you say that's that's the end result and there's a a less good version in which it kind of entrenches some of the the existing challenges but but the challenge i think for the sector is that we need to be quite intentional about pursuing the better version of it so there's there's a job to be done i think giving some thought to the medium and longer term at the same time as we're dealing with the short-term challenges which is is difficult but necessary i think i think that's um, sorry John. No, I was, I was just I was just going to say uh, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. But if you have a final word, David, that would be great to hear. No, I was I was simply going to agree with you and say I think that that's a very important and often overlooked point. That if we um, we we need to plan for the long term, we need to say okay, what are the goals? What are the things that we can potentially achieve here? I think one of the challenges that faced civil society before this was the idea that we were presenting an entire worldview of how people ought to interact with one another, the importance of communities, the importance of fairness in our society. We were preaching a very different gospel to, to some of the dominant forces in, in political life and coming together and articulating that with one voice, campaigning at the right level, campaigning for a kind of sea change in behaviour was already a very significant challenge for civil society. Now we've got a real opportunity to 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 put that on the agenda, to move that forward, to tackle that thinking. And we do need to have a little bit of a think about how we come together and speak with one voice to, to talk about those changes and what I think our priorities are. 
Absolutely. And that's a, you know, a great note on, on which to, to finish. So I'm um, just ready to say thanks ever so much for finding some time uh, to come on the podcast. I know everybody's incredibly busy at the moment, um, but certainly, um, you know, as, as the situation settles down, maybe the other side, it'd be great to, to catch up and get you on again to, to talk, you know, in more depth about some of these things and potentially without COVID-19 kind of looming quite so large in the mind. Thanks very much. That would be a pleasure.